I appreciate you joining me again today to be able to open up the Bible, in particular the book of Jonah, and read the next passage of Scripture. We believe that's the best way to hear from God, is just to look at the Bible and read it phrase by phrase, and just, I think it's John MacArthur says, unleash it one verse at a time. So we find ourselves this morning in the third chapter of Jonah. If you had read the book of Jonah a few times, I think it would be quite natural for you to conclude that the main character of this book is Jonah. After all, the book is named after him, and if you were to count the number of times his name is mentioned, you would find 18 different times. Not bad for a small four-chapter book. And if you were forced to reduce the book of Jonah to one image or one picture, I suspect it would be something that looks like the cover of our bulletin, a whale, a great fish. Fish is mentioned four different times in the book of Jonah. Or maybe you would come at it from another angle and say, actually, the most influential, the starring role within the book of Jonah is not himself, it's not a whale, but it's the people of the city of Nineveh. Evidently, God is crazy about this city, and he is bent on making sure that they hear this message of mercy, that they could have a relationship with God. And the city Nineveh, if I understand it right, is mentioned nine different times in the book of Jonah. But there is someone else who really is the main character in the book of Jonah. In fact, he is mentioned more than Jonah, more than the fish, more than the Ninevites combined, and it is our Lord God. In fact, he is mentioned 41 times in this small little book. And if you wanted to get a glimpse of what God's heart is like and what His ways are like, a careful read through the book of Jonah is an excellent start. Indeed, he is concerned about a city. And I think it could be argued that he is concerned about this city of Green Bay as well. But he is concerned about the people of Nineveh so much that he sends this backwoods prophet to go and proclaim a message to them. And you remember that message there in chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, he says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Now those instructions could not be more clear. All he needs to do is to go and proclaim this message to the people of Nineveh. He could have been the first Baptist preacher because he went into a quick backslidden mode. And he purchased a ticket all right, but he purchased it for a boat that was going in the wrong direction. And instead of going eastbound, he was going westbound in a deliberate act of defiance. And so while he is on the boat, 
the main character of this book pulls some rank. You see, when you are the God of all creation, there are certain perks that come with it. And as he looks out on the sea and sees this wayward prophet, he says to the wind, who is his servant, I need you to pick it up a bit and blow across the sea until you get this preacher's attention. And we find out that this preacher is not only in defiance out of the will of God, but he is actually fast asleep in this boat. I don't know about you if you sleep very well, but there are times when I am fast asleep and I tend to make a noise when I'm like that. My wife reminds me of it in the morning. You were you are really tired last night. Well, evidently, he was not only fleeing the presence of God of what he thought, but he was actually comfortable in that state. I wonder how many here today in person or online could say, I'm, I'm fleeing from God. And I'm actually comfortable in what I am doing. Well, God would not allow him to rest in his comfort. So the the boat began to rock and shift because the wind was only submitting to the Creator's instructions. And when that didn't produce repentance within this preacher, God turned it up a notch. And being the God of all creation, he not only ordained the wind to blow, but he asked for a fish to come by at just the appointed time. And this submarine of mercy was, was right there at the time when Jonah was thrown out of the ship, plummets to the depths to swallow him up for three days and three nights. Now, if that had happened to you and you are in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, what would you do? You would pray, wouldn't you? And that's what Jonah did. This is what we covered last Sunday in chapter 2. He prayed, and I'm going to give him credit, because he was bent passionately to disobey God, and his repentance matched that intensity. We read about him calling out, crying out to be saved from this belly of the whale. And friends, when you and I are are bent in a stubborn way to disobey God, we ought to bring repentance of the same intensity. And this is what Jonah did. And so now let's pick up our story. If I remember the last verse we covered in chapter 2, verse 10 last week, read this way, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now let's look at the next five verses for this morning, beginning in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh 
believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Father, thank you for your word this morning, a word that provides a portrait of a man that needed a second chance, of a man that had been given an opportunity and absolutely had blown it, but out of your love for him, you brought a caring discipline of correction. And as this passage is now read and taught, we pray that this message of mercy would would echo throughout this room and even beyond into the living rooms and kitchens and, and earbuds and in a vehicle as they're driving on the highway of just hearing that you are the same yesterday as you are today and tomorrow, forever. You are still this God of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Having received a fresh dose of mercy there in the whale, Jonah is now poised to communicate that same message of mercy. And he is given a second opportunity. In fact, if I were to point to my favorite verse in all of the book of Jonah, I think it would be hard to improve upon chapter 3, verse 1, where it just says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now, if you've lived life enough and and you could identify with your shortcomings and your failings, then this means something to you. If you are perfect here this morning and you've never messed up and and you're not a screw-up, well, then that don't mean anything to you, but it certainly means a lot to me. Here, Jonah has been given a second opportunity. He is a different man Contrary to what we read in chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish right after he received the the same invitation. This time it says in chapter 3, verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Here's the first point I'd like to make this morning. Is God only uses flawed people to carry out his plan. There was a great leader by the name of Moses. And Moses actually killed a man. And God had given him a second chance. There was a, a wonderful king named David who had committed adultery. And then developed a plan to make sure the husband was killed himself. And God gave him another opportunity. There was Rahab, whose profession was a prostitute at one time. But God had given her another opportunity. There was Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. There was Peter, who had walked with Jesus for three years. And on the night that he was crucified, betrayed him. And yet Peter was given another opportunity. There was the great Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, he at the front end of his life oversaw the first Christian martyr. And yet God had given him a second opportunity. And God is still doing that today. 
You may be sitting here this morning and saying, the best years of my life has passed me by. I don't know how God could possibly use me. This morning, we are not so much impressed with Jonah, but the God of Jonah that can take someone like him and say, I've got you right where I want you. Jonah had submitted to the discipline of God and now when given the same opportunity, this time obeyed. Several years ago, we had moved back to Green Bay. And at this time, my boys, my two oldest, I think were around ages four and ages two. And I was going to go run an errand at Home Depot. And, and as I, I went into the store, I had these two boys with me. And all I needed to do was ask someone where an item was. And, and then I was going to go retrieve it purchase it, and be back out in the van before you knew it. But when I asked this employee where this item was, I heard some scampering of feet. And I looked back, and the boys had dashed down an aisle. And they hadn't done that before. And so I I went back, and I, I looked down that aisle, and there they are, like Aaron Jones. I mean, just shooting down that aisle. And I'm calling out to them. In a dignified pastor's voice, uh, sons, come. <laughs> and and they, are, they, they have no interest in turning. And so with my long strides, I'm able to make uh, some progress. But every time they see me, they look around a corner and then they go down the other aisle. And if it would have been around the year of COVID... And someone would have put up that little laser thermometer on my forehead. I'm quite sure I would have scored into 200s. (laughs) But it had nothing to do with a fever. It had everything to do with two boys that were trying to flee the presence of their father. And eventually, I kind of head them off and they come up to the end of an aisle. And I, I was right there waiting for them. And I took a hold of their wrists and I said, sons, let's go on out to the van. And as I'm walking out to the van and they're kind of being dragged by me and, and crying out, there's an employee kind of like a greeter who looks upon me with a con- condescending look and say, man, why don't you just, you know, lead your family? Why don't you take care of your kids? So I get out to the van and I pray for self-control. And, and, I, and, and when things have calmed down, I said, all right, boys, as best I could to a four and a two-year-old, we offered a little, I think, appropriate discipline. And then I opened that sliding door again, and I said, boys, let's go back in. And so we walked back into the Home Depot, and there was that same guy looking at me, and he's like, back for more, huh? And I, I walked up and down an aisle for a little bit, and this time, with puffy cheeks, with, with uh, uh, tears that had gone down their cheeks, their behavior was noticeably different. I had no intention of buying anything at that time. I just wanted to say, this is not how we operate in a store. We went back out into the van, and then we moved on with our day. And I thought about that as I thought about Jonah. He was a different man because he had honored God's discipline in his life. As best I know, that's never happened to me again with the boys. Uh, I, I don't know if that's happened to you, Melody, 
<laughs> Maybe, but, but there is something to be said, isn't there? We, we go through life, and, and God loves us too much that he will bring discipline in our life. And it's important for us to learn the lesson that he has for me. Earlier this week, I was having coffee with a young man, and I was reflecting on an early incident in my ministry before I was serving here at Highland Crest where there was conflict and there was trouble within the church, and I was expressing to him, as I did reflection on my own heart, I caused some of that because I didn't love people the way I ought to have. In fact, if I was honest, I didn't see him as, as made in the image of God this was my ministry, and I needed to move newer people the way I wanted them to be able to grow this church. And God brought discipline in my life. And I was like, I'm never going to make that mistake again. People are made in the image of God, and, and they are so important that God sent his own son to die for them. And ministry is about people. So God only uses flawed people to carry out his plan. He only uses screw-ups, people who have defied God, who said no to him at one time. But God's arm of mercy reaches out to them, offers forgiveness for them. If he is, is adopted them into his family, he will bring discipline in order to change them and give them another opportunity. Is he giving you another opportunity? How many of us have ever heard of Goth Heifer? This is a little village in which Jonah was from. I mean, when God came to this backwoods preacher, and he said to him, what I want you to do is go off to this massive city the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and I want you to go preach there, I could see why Jonah would have said, well, what good would that do? Who am I to go to such a vast city? But all God wanted was for someone to go and to proclaim his word. Look with me at the second part of our passage today, and this is what I have for you. God has not called us to convert an entire city, but to go and proclaim his word. Look with me here at verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You'll notice that the first half of chapter 3, verse 2, is identical to chapter 1, verse 2. It's the same words, with the exception of the last half. For their evil has come up a pop before me, or the last part in chapter 3, verse 2, against it the message that I tell you. I don't know about you, but do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you ever feel like there is a task that God has called you to do that is well beyond your capabilities? That is certainly true here of Jonah at this time. Who is this, who is this country guy to go to this massive city and to carry out God's agenda? But if we look closely, all God was looking for was not someone to close the deal, but just be available to proclaim this message. And that's what he did. 
You'll see here of Nineveh in verse 3 that it was an exceedingly great city. The Hebrew language there just refers to that it was great to God. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the city of Nineveh and how sinful it was. There was no God-fearing men and women there. They were terrorists. They hated God's people. But God saw them as great because they were made in His image. And His desire was for them to be saved from their sins. The last part of verse 3 says, It was three days' journey in breath. Now there's two different ways to read that. One, it could be read, It takes three days to get from one edge of the city to the other edge. And if the average person walks 17 miles a day, 17 times 3 is 51 miles. And friends, that's a great city. Others have said, no, there's another way of reading this, and that is it would take three days to view all the high points of this city, to get a real flavor for this city. This was a city of commerce. If there was anything you needed, you could get it in Nineveh. It was a city of culture. It was a city of military power. This is where you would go. And this is where God sent Jonah. Maybe you today feel overwhelmed yourself. You're you're overwhelmed at the lostness within your own family. You're overwhelmed with the lostness of your workplace. You look around and you say, all these people don't even know God. You're overwhelmed with the the lostness of your cul-de-sac, your apartment complex. Or maybe when you drive up and down the streets of your city. You say, how is it possible to get the word of the gospel to each of these people? And we're not responsible to convert the whole office the whole family, the whole city, the whole neighborhood. God is asking us to go, arise, and proclaim the gospel message and allow him to work in that. Now, what we don't see in these verses, some historians have told us, is that during this period of time that Jonah would have walked into Nineveh was a time of brokenness for the citizens of this city. They had gone through famine. There were wars. There was a lot of internal conflict that was taking place. And so when they saw a prophet who could have had his skin and hair bleached because he was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, and he comes proclaiming a foreign god, it very well could be that they had an ear for that message because they were seeking and they were searching for truth. Look around, loved ones. There is a buckling and a shapeling in our society, is there? Not with the COVID virus, with a political turmoil. Are there not people that are out searching for answers themselves? It is not our responsibility to convert all these people, to change the heart of our husband, wives, our children, our grandparents. It's our responsibility to go and to proclaim the message that God has given to us. You'll notice this message in verse 4. It is one sentence. Now some have said, this couldn't be the whole message he preached. It it, it must be a summary. It could be a summary. 
But if we're just going to read it literally, it's one message. It's like five Hebrew words. And this is it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So when we think about proclaiming God's word, we don't have to think about this long essay, but it's just words of truth, isn't it? Several years ago, Pastor Jim and I had an opportunity to go to Alistair Begg's church for a a pastor's conference. And while there, uh, we heard from a man named Sinclair Ferguson, uh, just an amazing amazing preacher. This week I was reading in Sinclair Ferguson's um, book on Jonah of his conversion story. And listen to the four words that were used in his story to bring him to Christ. He said this, when I was almost 15 years old, I began to realize in a way I'd never done before that I stood in need of salvation. One winter evening, as I walked home, I slid in the snow beside a small elderly man. Under the dim light of the street lamp, I could see that he was dressed entirely in black. After a moment's conversation, he asked, listen to this, Son, are you saved? The words were like a knife in my soul. How did the man know that this was my greatest longing in life to know Was I a child of God? By these and other words, God guided me into his kingdom. I've often looked for that man thereafter to tell him that God had anointed his words. But he never seemed to walk that road at that time of night again. I learned that sentences are all God needs when his children have the touch of the Spirit on their lives. What hope and confidence this inspires in our witness, to share what the Lord has given to you. The third thing I think we see in this passage is God's word contains power to change lives. I'm arguing this morning that this book of Jonah is not about Jonah, it's not about a whale, it's not about the Ninevites, but about this great God. We're getting a glimpse of his heart. And and if we want to know how great he is, he has disclosed that to us through his word, his written word. And all it takes is for him to speak something and it happens, whether it's creation or whether it's Jesus looking out at a stormy sea and he says, peace, be still. Or whether it's a paralyzed man that comes up to him and says, Lord, if you will, You can make me clean, and all it takes is four words. I will be clean. We learn that when God's word is spoken by his people, miracles can take place. So let's go back to his instructions again now in chapter 3, verse 2. He says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Listen, The message that I tell you. Jonah, I've got instructions for you. I want you to rise. I want you to go. And here all you need to do is just speak the words that I give to you. This is not a time, Jonah. This is not a time for you to go off and offer your opinions. Not offer your experiences or offer whatever else you want to offer. 
All you need to do is proclaim my word because I use my word to change lives. And friends, this is a wonderful reminder to us moms and dads, teachers, preachers, that we just need to stick with the word. Just read the word and teach the word. If you're like me, you like podcasts and you like preachers and you like to be listened to various people. And, and there are a lot of preachers out there. Uh, they are m- much more eloquent. They're better looking, better dressed, very persuasive. But I just want to urge you as your pastor, are they preaching from the Bible? It, it just You have to listen Is he just taking words from this passage and this passage, or is he preaching the Scriptures? Can this message, could this message fit in the self-help aisle of Barnes & Noble? Or is this really the Word of God? And that's why we are erring on just expository preaching, just going verse by verse through this. And Nineveh here, he's, he's being instructed, all you need to do, is proclaim the message that I tell you. And I want to offer you maybe the greatest compliment a teacher or a preacher can receive. Look with me at the result of this in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. You might expect them to say they believed Jonah. But they understood Jonah's word to be God's word. They understood it accurately that he was just a middleman. All he was doing was communicating God's word. And may it be said of you, mom and dad, may it be said of you, teacher, Sunday school teacher, may it be said of whoever stands behind this desk, that when they heard it, they, they heard what God wanted them to say. All it takes is just a few words from God to bring a dramatic change to life. I was reading this week a wonderful historian that has recorded events from revivals of yesteryear was a guy by the name of J. Edwin Orr. And in 1859, there was a magnificent revival that swept across Ireland. You know what a revival is? It's when God's presence falls on his church And his church gets right with God. They confess sin. And it spreads throughout the church walls. And people become followers of Jesus. J. Edwin Orr was recording in Ireland. He said, A schoolboy under deep conviction of sin seems so incapable of continuing his studies that the kindly teacher sent him home in the company of another boy already converted. On the way home, the two boys noticed an empty house, and entered it to pray. At last, the unhappy boy found peace and returned immediately to the classroom to tell his teacher, listen to these words, I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. This innocent testimony had its effect on the class. And boy after boy slipped outside The master, standing on something to look out of the window, observed the boys kneeling in prayer around the schoolyard, each one apart. The master was overcome, so he asked the converted schoolboy to comfort them. 
Soon the whole school was in a strange disorder, and the clergymen were sent for and remained all day dealing with seekers after peace, schoolboys, schoolgirls, teachers, and parents and neighbors, the premises being thus occupied until 11 o'clock that night. Just a small word, a small word of testimony that God used to hearts that were soft and receptive. Well, let me conclude with this last point here. I think we see it in our passage. Not only does God's word contains power to change lives, but true repentance exhibits fruit. We see that fruit in verse 5. As now Jonah has gone out, he's proclaimed this message. It says there in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. It's as if they said, What God has said is true. And it stopped the people of Nineveh in their tracks. Their hearts were convicted. They understood that they were sinful and that God was going to judge them. That word overthrown, the last word of verse 4, is the same word that is used of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. Not only was God's word true, they concluded, but what used to bring them sinful pleasure would now bring them sorrow to their conscience. You see, it says here, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. This word was so piercing to the citizens of Nineveh that they could not remain in the comfort of their sin. Sackcloth and fasting represented sorrow. And the things that used to bring them fleeting pleasures of sin, now they saw differently and said, those are destroying us. They're destroying our families. They're destroying our cities. You know, isn't that true of sin? I mean, men, we could see something that is impure. And we could be drawn to it and crave after it. And for a moment, it could bring us some pleasure. But if we get in this sliding habit, that fleeting pleasure can destroy us. Destroy our marriage, destroy our family, destroy our ministry, destroy everything around us. And when God's Spirit identifies that as sin, that what used to bring us pleasure now grieves us. And we can have a holy hatred for that sin. And this is exactly what's happening there in Nineveh. God's Spirit is coming alongside the citizens and pointing out their sin to them. And by God's grace, they are saying, I am determined to change. They want to fast. Why do you fast? It's as if to say there's something else more important in my life right now than food. It's to get right with God. And here you have a city, 125 to 150,000 people. And you'll notice here it says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is the homeless people on the corner to the people in city council. This is the, the wealthiest person in town to the person that is begging for crumbs. This is an old man and a young lady. And God is working through this city. You see, the greatest miracle of the book of Jonah is not the whale. The greatest miracle in the book of Jonah 
is that God would take an old cast-off man and preach a, a simple sentence and the city would be turned upside down and want to seek God. You today, you this morning, might say to yourself, I, I, I have come and asked forgiveness innumerable times. I, I, I'm, I've worn out that prayer. I have tried this. I've, I've done my best, and I've only just hit a wall. I'm reminded of this wonderful little book that we're reading on Wednesday evenings. It's called Gentle and Lowly. In last week's chapter, the question was posed, what is it that brings Jesus his greatest delight? And we read this little illustration. Let me read it to you. It says, a compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to the primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem. And the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he speaks, as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a brave young man steps forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. You want to make Jesus happy today. You want to give him joy today. Bring your old sinful soul. Bring your old sinful bodies and lay them at the cross. Come afresh and say, I need forgiveness of my sins Just like I did last Sunday, just like I did yesterday, I need your grace again today. God uses people that are flawed. God uses his word to create and do miracles. And there are fruits of repentance And God is extending an invitation to each of us in the sound of my voice to come and receive this grace, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, to be forgiven of your sins. Not that you get saved again, but you get forgiven again and you receive his power to live the rest of this day, the rest of this week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we appreciate another glimpse of who you are and how you care for us. There's really only one response, I think, that we get from a passage like this, and it's worship. It's it's falling on our knees, falling on our face, and saying, you have done this in the life of Jonah, and I know that you're not done with me yet. Father, forgive us for taking on responsibilities that are not ours to take on. Help us to be faithful with this simple call. Arise. 
go, proclaim to whatever circle you have given to us. Help us to be faithful. If that's a, a, a sentence, if it's just a few words, if it's a printed gospel in a track form, just help us to be obedient, to do what you have called us to do. You love Nineveh. I believe you love Green Bay. I believe you love De Pere. And help us just to be faithful to the call that you have. I suspect there are people all around that, that can identify with what I identify with. I, I fall. I fail. And this little illustration of a doctor that has come and he's just waiting for people to receive grace is suitable for me and I think it's suitable for all of us. So we humble ourselves and we say, I'll receive it. Forgive me. I'm not measuring up to what you have for me. Your standard, it's beyond what I can bear. So would you enable me by your grace to be the man, to be the woman, the boy, the girl you want me to be. And I will give you credit. I'll give you praise for that. And then I want to just offer a word. If if you've never trusted Christ, the marks of repentance are here that you would grieve over your sin. You say, what used to bring me pleasure now brings me sorrow. I, I want to follow God. Grace has been extended to you by Jesus dying on the cross for you. Place your faith in Jesus. Declare, by God's help, you will obey God the remaining days of your life. Become a child of His. You can do that right where you're at right now. Pray to Him. Lord, we thank you for this message and thank you for the invitation that is extended to us. And and may we go here not not having pushed stop, but with play, just continuing to need you, continuing to look for opportunities to, to worship you and to delight and find our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand, please, and we'll sing this song of invitation. If there is a way that I can pray for you, I'll be here at the front. Scott, why don't you lead us?